Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that you moved the Apostle Paul to write this letter to Timothy. Uh, We thank you that in this letter uh, we see the gospel and the heart of those who preach the gospel, the gospel that gives us life. Give us understanding and conviction of its truth and help me to speak your word faithfully and clearly. And gracious Father, through your word, uh, do your work in our lives, that work of which Paul spoke, making us wise for salvation and teaching, rebuking, correcting and training us so that we are ready to do the good works you've called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I uh, get older, I find I appreciate more and more helpful reminders, uh, whether it's to put the garbage out, which I usually forget, or about significant dates that are coming up, like birthdays, which I also forget, or that I must never wear yellow, which I rarely forget. Uh, But it's not just reminders about day-to-day things that are helpful. Uh, During this COVID time, I found it helpful to be reminded from time to time of the bigger things, that God's in control, that he loves his people and is working all things for our good, that his judgments are just. And the most helpful, the most timely reminders have come from people who know me. Uh, Tonight, as you've gathered from the reading, we're starting a series on 2 Timothy, and in verses 1 to 7, the introduction to the letter as we meet its author, Paul, and its recipient, Timothy, and learn a little about them and their circumstances, we are given from God's word three reminders we all need. If we're going to be faithful to the gospel, every believer is entrusted with. Firstly, that the gospel is about the life we all need. Secondly, that the gospel call comes from love. And thirdly, what God calls us to He equips us for. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now, most of you sitting here are probably a little familiar with Paul, but as Paul's circumstances and the task entrusted to him play a big role in the what and why of Paul's writing to Timothy, let's refresh what we know of him. So he introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle is a messenger. And in the New Testament, there's a unique qualification for being Christ's apostle. It's to have seen the risen Jesus, to be a witness to his resurrection. Paul starts by saying he is Christ's apostle. That is, Christ's messenger bringing Christ's message with Christ's authority to Christ's world. And he insists that this is not something that he's just taken upon himself, appointed himself to. It's by the will of God. Now, this is so important that how it happened is told three times in Acts, and Paul refers to it frequently in his letters. For example, in Acts 26, Paul recounts how the risen Jesus, having appeared to him and knocked him off his donkey as as he was travelling to Damascus, says, verse 16, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
Paul writes as Christ's apostle, someone entrusted with Christ's gospel for the nations, the gospel he will be encouraging Timothy in this letter to persevere in preaching and teaching. And in this introduction, as you've heard, he highlights one aspect of the gospel. He's been appointed an apostle for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. The intended goal of Paul's ministry is to make known to all the promise of life in Christ Jesus, life through faith in Jesus. And the life Jesus promises to those who trust him is eternal life, a new life that starts now and will continue in resurrection life. The gospel, says Paul in verse 10, brings to light, makes visible to all that Christ has abolished, nullified death, and brings life and immortality to those who believe. Now, Christians talk a lot about this. It's so often, in fact, that we can lose sight of the wonder of the message entrusted to us in a world of death. And haven't we been reminded of that by this pandemic? In a world where each one of us will die, where death is the background against which each one of us lives out our short lives. Paul has been appointed to bring from Jesus a promise of life. And Paul, as you heard, has skin in the game. He's very conscious of his own coming death as he writes. As you've heard in the letter, Paul is a prisoner in chains in Rome. It's not the imprisonment at the end of Acts 28, but a later one, his final imprisonment. And even though he's passed through the hurdle of his first appearance at court, he knows how this imprisonment will end. He knows that he is facing death. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. It matters to Paul, just as it matters to Timothy, who's being urged to visit his mentor and friend as quickly as possible. It matters to Paul that the gospel for which he is imprisoned, the gospel he believes and preaches, the gospel for which he will soon be put to death, is the gospel that promises life, eternal life. And that's the first thing we're reminded of here. The gospel entrusted to us as we believe the apostles, the gospel that Christ died for our sins and was buried and that God has raised him on the third day and exalted him to his right hand with all authority. The gospel that is unfashionable with its talk of sin and judgment, its call for repentance, the gospel which might set you apart from your peers and colleagues and expose you to mocking and criticism for believing it. The gospel has always been about life, life in relationship with God that starts now and continues forever in resurrection life, deathless life. That's what we believed in Jesus for from the very beginning. As Paul said to those who spiritualized away our resurrection, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. You know, if being a Christian is just for this life, we have wasted our lives. But Christ, through his gospel, does give us what no one else can give us with confidence. For the Lord Jesus has died and has risen. He has beaten 
death. And our world needs life. We all die and all of life is marked by the corruption of sin. Our bodies and the bodies of those we love betray us with sickness and decay. We live in a world of death and in a world where the fear of death dogs our consciousness. Haven't we seen that in COVID? We will do almost anything to keep ourselves safe from dying. We'll shut out the world. We'll shut down the economy. Some will live in virtual isolation for months on end. And COVID's been very confronting, hasn't it? Because up till now, many of us have been lulled into a kind of false sense of security about death. Our society keeps death at a distance. And so many of us, if we have known people who have died, have only known old people who have died. And we let them die at the periphery of our lives, not in our homes, but in hospitals and nursing homes. And we live in a society that's kept itself from grappling with the mystery of death from the unthinkable separation of our souls from our bodies, our life from the lives of those around us by telling itself comforting stories. You know them. Life just ends and then you write as if you were just your body. Or people will go and be with the angels or becoming another star shining down on us or somehow our lives will be recycled. Empty stories. But as believers... We've, we've tended to become like our society. We tend not to think of death. Just focus on this life, the present. And so often we focus on other aspects of the gospel, on forgiveness or on the community it creates or a sense of peace. And we've come to treat the promise of eternal life like a serve of chips on the side of the gospel meal. Good to have there, but not the main meal. But the promise of life is what the gospel is about. And there will come a time when it will really matter to you and I, just like it matters to Paul. You know, when you're contemplating your end and recognise at the funeral of your friend, you may not know when your end will be, but it is certain. When you start, you feel your age, like me, which I reckon, reckon that you know life is more than two-thirds over and that the day of death is closer than the day of birth when you receive the diagnosis of COVID or cancer. Won't it be good then to know that the gospel brings the promise of life, eternal life, a sure promise from Jesus, good for you to know, good for you to be sure of, so that, Lord willing, like Paul, you can face your death with constancy and hope. I've fought the good fight, I've kept the face, I've finished the race. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the faithful judge, will award to me. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. That's good to know. And it's good to share, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, we've been made to think that talking about Jesus is somehow rude, an imposition on others, something we should be ashamed even of wanting to do. But Christians with this gospel are rich people living in a desperately poor world, a world where people are helpless, helpless facing a certain death with uncertainty and fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the horror of separation, fear of judgment. The gospel that promises life through repentance and faith in Jesus is great good news. It's unparalleled good news. So do you know it 
for yourself. Do you know where you will be when you die? And do you have good grounds for believing what you believe about that? Good grounds like somebody rising from the dead and coming to tell you what awaits you. Have you got grounds like that? If you don't believe the gospel of Jesus, you don't. Do you know the promise of life for yourself? And if you're a believer, do you feel the goodness of a gospel that promises life? Goodness. Do you feel it? Does it make you thankful and joyous every day? Or are you too immersed in your present, your passing concerns to be thankful every day for the promise of life? And if you know it, do you let this promise give you courage and compassion in your dealing with the needs of others? Paul writes to Timothy as one appointed by God to bring the gospel of Jesus, to bring the promise of life in Christ Jesus to all the nations. And he writes to Timothy, his dearly loved child or son. Now, if you've been hanging around church for a while, you'll probably have heard a bit about Timothy as well. He's been working alongside Paul since Paul picked him to work with him, which was nearly 15 years ago. And so he's a tried and tested gospel worker, teaching and preaching, accompanying Paul on his second and third missionary journeys, with him in his first imprisonment, sent by Paul as his delegate to some difficult situations in Thessalonica and Corinth, Philippi, most recently to Ephesus. The references are in that transcript. But what I want you to notice is the affection with which Paul writes. Timothy, as you heard, is dearly loved. He's someone for whom Paul feels a long-standing, enduring affection who has, like our children, a permanent place in his heart. Timothy is someone, verse 3, that Paul is grateful to God for knowing and for whom he prays constantly. Timothy's tears are etched into his memory and he longs to see him. And that is a longing he's acting upon, writing to urge Timothy to come to him in Rome. And Paul knows that their reunion, even in the shadow of his certain death, will be joyful. And Timothy's someone Paul respects, whose faith Paul respects. He's convinced that like his mother and grandmother, Timothy's faith is sincere, genuine. In fact, Paul could write of Timothy to the Philippians, I've got no one else like-minded. You know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. I want you to note the genuine love and respect Paul has for Timothy to feel it coming through the words on the page because of what Paul says next to Timothy and because what that will mean for Timothy. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, rekindle is probably not the best translation. It's something more like keep fanning into flame. Keep your gift continually burning. Paul's not calling Timothy to restart something he stopped, but to keep going with renewed zeal something he is already doing. And what he is to keep doing is exercising the gift God has given him. 
Here in this personal letter, Paul associates it with the laying on of his hands. In 1 Timothy, a public letter, he associates that gift with the laying on of the hands of the elders and a prophecy pointing to Timothy as the person to join Paul in his mission. You see, just as Paul and Barnabas were designated for their work by the Spirit and sent out with prayer and the laying on of hands in Acts 13, so Timothy had been. And in that commissioning, there was equipping for the work by the gift of God's grace, what John Stock calls the gift of the authority and power to be a minister of Christ. Uh, The authority and power to exercise the gift of evangelism and to be a pastor, teacher, and preacher. Now, reminding Timothy that he was gifted was in itself an encouragement. And Timothy needed the encouragement to keep going, to keep applying himself, because it was tough. Hopefully you got a sense of that hearing Simon read through the whole letter. Firstly, Timothy's father in the faith is imprisoned and facing death. Think of the grief of that. But as we... As Simon read on, we heard of people in Asia deserting Paul. That's discouraging. Of false teachers who will oppose and confuse Timothy's teaching. Oh, we read of the open hostility of people like Alexander. We read of a society who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and congregations that would not listen to sound teaching but turn aside to myths. This is a tough context to minister in and to keep on ministering without being worn down and discouraged, without wondering if it's worth it, keeping on going. And Paul adds to it. You see, he is quite explicit that the faithful ministry he is urging on Timothy will mean suffering. (coughs) Share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Share in suffering, endure hardship. Paul's call to fan into flame his gift, to keep on keeping on with exercising his ministry of evangelist, pastor and teacher is actually a call to suffering. A call that comes from genuine and great love. Now think about that. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child, but as he faces his death, he doesn't say, I've had it tough, but I hope you have a good life. Stay out of trouble. Settle down somewhere with a good wife in a quiet place. And he doesn't say, I've stuck at it and look where it got me. You fulfil your dreams. No, he says, fan into flame your gift. You keep at the work of preaching the gospel and be willing to suffer for it. And he says it because Paul genuinely loves and cares for Timothy. See, Paul must think that preaching Jesus' gospel matters more than anything, more than Timothy having a trouble-free life. Why? Because he knows it's true and it brings life, eternal life, to all who believe, the preacher and the hearer. Paul knows Jesus is the risen Lord. He has seen him. And so he's convinced that nothing matters more than being faithful to the Jesus who gives life to doing the work our Lord Jesus calls us to with the gifts he equips us with. 
And when you think about it, Paul's encouragement to Timothy to keep on with the work Christ has given him is not so different from the Lord Jesus Christ's call to you and to every believer. You see, the Christian life, in a sense, begins with a call to suffer from someone who knows us and loves us deeply. Hear Jesus. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it profit, benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Taking up your cross, which the condemned criminal had to do to carry their own cross to the place of execution, was an image of horror and suffering to the first hearers. Calling you to deny yourself and take up your cross daily is a call to endure hardship for Jesus, to endure suffering for the sake of doing what he says, going where he directs. It's not a call to fulfil your dreams or realise your ambitions. It's a call to have no other life than the life Jesus gives you when you lose your life to gain life from him. Let that sink in. Where you live, who you marry, what you do with your money, who you associate with, how you respond to insult or sexual temptation, all is to be directed by Jesus. By doing what Jesus wants, not what you want. The call to follow is a call to use what we are given to serve in love to serve Jesus, to serve his people, to serve the world by making the gospel known. It is all-encompassing. It is a giving up your life to follow. And sometimes we will feel it hard to give up that non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend so your loyalty to Jesus is undivided, to leave that job you work so hard to get so that you can spend more time telling others about Jesus to abandon your self-protective control that frustrates loving others, to keep going in godliness when you are discouraged by lack of change, to be called to suffer, to be faithful. Yet that is a call that comes from love, the love that wants to give you life, that love that will give his life to give you eternal life. That's right, isn't it? We can't be loved more than Jesus has loved us. Love can do no greater than give up its life to do good to the one loved, and Jesus has given up his life for us, given up his life while we were still rebels against his rule, dying in our place to endure the judgment, the death our sin deserves, dying on the cross to bring us forgiveness. Paul is straight with Timothy clear about what he expects of Timothy as a follower of Jesus entrusted with the gospel and what it will mean for him. And the Lord Jesus is straight with us, straight with us about what it means to follow him, to be one of his followers, straight because he loves us and he wants us to live and he knows life is found only in following him, trusting him and doing what he teaches. But the call to persevere energetically in ministry in the face of opposition and discouragement, in the wearying work of, say, for Timothy, correcting false teaching and seeking those who stray, the call to suffer 
can be overwhelming to think of. Just as denying yourself, taking up your cross daily to follow Jesus can be overwhelming when we think of it, even when we are convinced Jesus is Lord and Jesus loves us. So Paul encourages Timothy by looking at what our God gives us to sustain our life and service as Jesus' followers, as those entrusted with the gospel of Jesus for the world. And that encouragement starts at verse 2. Grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy and peace. That's what God our Father and the Lord Jesus give Timothy and give every believer. And in that grace, mercy and peace is all we need to follow. Grace, God's free, generous kindness to us in Christ. And we receive this grace in Christ. In fact, Romans 5, 1, Paul says, justified by faith in Christ, we stand in grace. Now, that's a funny phrase, isn't it? Stand in grace. But if you looked at someone standing in the forest, you'd always see them amongst the trees. If God looks at someone standing in grace, he always sees them in the midst of grace. His vision of them, his consideration of them is always associated with grace, immersed in grace. This is Paul's way of saying that God always looks on believers in Jesus with favour. Not an earned favour, but a freely bestowed favour. It's saying we can rely on his steadfast love. To stand in grace is to know that the living God is for us and that he'll work all things, including our suffering, to fulfil his good purposes and promises for us. Grace, mercy, God will always assist us with compassionate help. He'll not be distant, hard, unapproachable to us. Mercy is and will be ours in Christ always. As the author of Hebrews says, we can always approach our God with confidence for mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Paul's telling Timothy that he'll never be left on his own, never without help, even as Paul's help will be lost to him. He's telling us that we are never without help. In the difficulties we face in following Christ, we can rely on God's mercy. Grace, mercy, peace. We have, says Paul in Romans 5, peace with God when we're justified by faith in Jesus. And that's an objective peace. It's not a feeling. It's saying that we are no longer reckoned as God's enemies because of our sin. We're no longer pursued by his just anger. We don't need to fear approaching him. We don't need to fear that he is punishing us or will ever exclude us at peace with him. We are welcome. Welcome to share in all his bounty. Welcome to rely on his faithfulness and love. Now, this objective peace that God has given us through making his son the atoning sacrifice for our sins will in turn bring peace to our hearts where we grasp it and know it. Peace even in the face of death. For at peace with the living God, death itself will become the doorway to being with Christ forever. Grace, mercy, peace. Three small words that sum up the believer's relationship with the living God and that assure us of all the help we need, 
of all the comfort that is ours in Christ and of the certainty of the outcome of faithful following of Jesus, life, eternal life. Grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ was Timothy's and it is ours as believers in Jesus. And in God's grace and mercy, our Lord has given Timothy and every believer his spirit. I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love and sound judgment. When Paul calls Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, to give himself continually to the ministry God has given him, Paul turns Timothy to the work of God in him and all believers by his spirit. Now the CSB rightly has a little S spirit in the first half of verse 7. Paul is saying that cowardice is not and never the result of God's work in us. But the spirit God gives us in the second half of the verse speaks of the work of God's spirit in our spirits. God through his spirit gives Timothy just what he needs to fulfill his calling. And God through his spirit will give us just what we need to follow Christ. The Spirit gives power, power in preaching and in living a godly life. It's by the Spirit that we can put to death the misdeeds, the sins of our bodies. And it's by the Spirit that the words of the gospel, even in our weakness, are powerful to do God's work in the lives of those who hear. It's by the Spirit that we can make the gospel clear even under trial. For as our Lord said to his disciples in Matthew 10, when we're brought to trial, it will be given us what to speak at that time, for the Spirit will be speaking in us. The Spirit gives power, and the Spirit gives love, the first fruit of the Spirit. The love Timothy needed not to be embittered by his service, to keep on being patient and forgiving the love we need to keep serving cheerfully and enduringly, love for the difficult, love even for our enemies. Power, love and the Spirit gives sound judgment or self-control. Paul uses a word here associated with prudence, moderation, discretion, all the fruit of controlling ourselves, of not being rash, not given to excess, not overreacting, It's what we need when we're provoked by unfair criticism or malicious opposition. It's what we need when we're faced with temptation, say, to overindulge in response to pressure or to give in to tiredness. You know, the temptation to just click on that website or to keep watching that SBS R-rated movie because you're so tired or to think that you can pour yourself another glass of wine. The Spirit gives us self-control. Paul assures Timothy he can give himself perseveringly to using his gifts in ministry for the Spirit will work in Timothy's spirit what he needs to persevere in the work God has given him in the face of opposition and suffering. And we have the same Spirit who will work in our spirits what we need to follow Christ. What God calls us to, he equips us for equips us for with the very gifts he gives us in the gospel, grace, mercy, peace, equips us for by the spirit he gives to all Jesus' followers. So this evening, three reminders from God's word. The gospel is all about the life we need. 
The gospel call comes from love and what God calls us to, he equips us for. So as I close, some questions. Do you know the promise of life the gospel gives? Are you assured of it? Will you still be relying on it like Paul when you face your end? If you have any doubt about that, any uncertainty, if you don't know where you will be when you die, come and talk. Chris, Helen, Andrew, me, the Christian with whom you came. Jesus came to give us life and his followers should be assured of that. And he will give that life to all who repent and believe, who will say Jesus is Lord, the boss, and ask for his forgiveness and ask to be included amongst his people. Do you know the promise of life? And do you know the love that calls you to give up your life to find life? Do you know it? Because you know in your heart that Christ has given his life for you. Every follower of Jesus should know that love, be moved by that love. And it is only knowing that love that will keep you going, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following your Lord. Do you know that love? And again, if you don't, come and talk. Or better, seek the Lord Jesus himself. Ask God to pour his spirit into your heart to flood you with that love which he gives to his people. God's love has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. Thirdly, if you're a believer, are you confident that your God has given you in the gospel and his spirit all that you need to sustain you in a life of following him? Are you, when tested, confident of that, turning to him, turning to him, depending on his grace, mercy and peace? Are you giving your spirit to the work of his spirit in you, giving you love, power and self-control? He has given us all we need. Are you making use of it? And finally, if you're sitting there and you say, yes, I know, I know the life and the love that the gospel brings me in Christ, and I'm confident of his grace and his gracious work in me. Well, will you stir into flame the great gift of the gospel entrusted to you? So the gospel conviction, the truth of the gospel burns in you. The gospel of Jesus brings life in a dying world. So will you share it, make it known, and endure suffering to do so. That's what God called Timothy to through Paul's words and it's what he actually calls every believer in calling us to become like our saviour who came to seek and save the lost. It's what he calls every believer to who knows the life and love of the Spirit of Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Work in our hearts through your word and spirit. Bring us conviction of the truth of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus has died for our sins, been buried and been raised, and that he has authority to forgive us. He has authority to judge and forgive all. 
and will forgive all who turn to him and give them life. Bring us that conviction. Move us each day to rejoice in your gift of life to us, to give thanks whatever our circumstances. And gracious God, so work in us by your spirit that we long to see others know this life and can live such a life of power and love and self-control that we commend this life to them in word and deed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.